Let us pray. Lord, as Christ has been made manifest in human flesh, we pray, may he be a beacon to us and to all the world to call us to you, whom to know is life. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We may be seated. Good morning, everyone. And Again, Merry Christmas, so glad to see all of you here, and good morning to everyone again watching via the live stream. Looking today at our gospel reading from Luke chapter 2, today's gospel reading records the presentation of Jesus in the temple, and other than Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, who are central to this account for obvious reasons, two other people are also mentioned, Simeon and Anna. When Joseph and Mary presented Jesus in the temple, both Simeon and Anna prophesied about the ministry that this child, Jesus, would have. Now, last year on this day, which I'm sure you all remember in great detail, um, on the second Sunday of Christmas, we looked at Simeon in verses 34 through 35 of Luke chapter 2. Today, I want to focus on Anna and what she prophesied about Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit Look at verses 36 through 38 of Luke chapter 2 with me. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting For the redemption of Israel. These three verses tell us all that we know about Anna. She isn't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Verse 36 to begin tells us a few things about Anna's background. The first thing it tells us is that she was a prophetess, actually a prophet. There is no distinction between prophet and prophetess and the original languages any more than there is between deacon and deaconess. It's a deacon and a prophet, whether it's a man or a woman. But she was a woman who was used of God prophetically. Throughout scripture, we see both men and women who were used by God as his spokespersons. We saw this with Elizabeth, Mary's relative, who we talked about a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 45. In the New Testament, we have other women who are examples of being used by God in this way as well. One example is in Acts, where in Acts 21, 8 through 9, we read of Philip's four unmarried daughters who prophesied. The implication here is that Anna prophesying, Anna being a prophet, was led and directed by the Holy Spirit. The second thing we see about Anna is that she was a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And that might not be highly significant for our study today. However, it's interesting to note that she was from the tribe of Asher, which was certainly a very small minority in the population of Israel at the time. It was one of the tribes lost through the exile, most of whose remnant had been assimilated in those who had not been swept away into exile. The remnant in the northern kingdom had been assimilated in the surrounding pagan cultures. That's where groups like the Samaritans came from. And very few had remained 
in true fidelity to the one true God of Israel. But clearly Anna and her family line had. The third thing we see finally is that she was very old and had been a widow for many years. Now, assuming that Anna was married at the normal age of between 12 and 14 years, she had become a widow by the time she was 20 or 21 and had remained a widow. Now, girls, think about that. That means she had become a widow around 20 or 21, and she had been a widow for over 60 years. It's a long time. And to be called a widow at that time meant that at the time of her husband's death, she did not have any surviving adult male relatives to support her. And being a widow without adult male relatives means that Anna was very poor. Everything seems to indicate that Anna chose to spend the remainder of her life, almost all of her adult, adult life, being singularly devoted to God. If you could think of it this way, sort of a monastic or a consecrated way of life at the temple. And Jewish culture held this type of widow in the highest regard. 1 Timothy 5.5 5 says this, She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. And that verse certainly describes what we know of Anna. The second thing we see about Anna is her godly character. In verse 37, Anna was used by God because of her heart for God. Did you hear that? Anna was used by God because of her heart for God. Anna is a beautiful example of how God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways to accomplish his purposes and to do his will. And we see this throughout scripture, but it is especially emphasized time and time again in Luke's gospel. Just look at some of the people who play a role in the Christmas story that Luke records. I know we talked about it um, last Sunday. We talked about it on Christmas Eve, but shepherds, outcasts in society, ceremonially unclean, living outside the city. They were poor, uneducated, coarse, looked down upon. Their word wasn't trusted. We have Mary and Joseph. They were from the royal line of David. Yes, we know that. But they were far removed from the wealth and the prestige of that heritage. They were a young couple from an out-of-the-way town called Nazareth, far from the political and religious power center. For example, Nazareth wasn't like Washington, D.C. That would be more akin to Jerusalem. It was like they were more from rural Kansas or somewhere like that. And they were poor, really poor. That's demonstrated by the fact that at the time they consecrated Jesus, their offering was two young pigeons. That was the least expensive, appropriate offering that someone could bring for that occasion. But what we see here is God using people from every life situation and circumstance, young and old, male and female, widows and married, rich, poor, marginalized and powerful. And that shows us that God looks at the heart. 
that his ways are higher than our ways. That in God's economy, value is assigned very differently than the way that it is done in this sinful fallen world. And brothers and sisters, that should encourage us because it tells us that no matter where we've come from, no matter what our, our worldly status, God can and will use us. It, it should also challenge us. Should challenge us to not look at things and situations and especially other people and assign them worth based upon this world's standards. I know we've talked about that some lately, but we don't assign worth to people simply because of their temporal resources, that they have a lot of money or their social or business prominence. Or because, and we see this so often in Christian circles, they have a charismatic personality. Or because they're young, because we have such a, an obsession in this culture and that we live in an obsession with youth. And so many other cultures in the world value the wisdom that comes with age. And scripture points to that here, even, even with Anna. Because here we have Anna a very old and very poor widow, as she was used mightily by God. Why was that? Because she was willing to be used by God. Because she knew God intimately. Look at what the second portion of verse 37 says again with me. She did not depart from the temple Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Night and day. So what godly qualities do we see here in Anna's life that would challenge us? First of all, she, we see that she was a worshiper. She did not depart from the temple. Again, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day doesn't mean that she literally lived in the temple courts. There was no place for that. Rather, this is where she spent the vast majority of her time. And she spent her time there in the temple in very specific ways. One way was worshiping God, not in some merely outwardly ritual, ritualistic sense, not just going through the motions. Every indication is that Anna worshiped God from the very depths of her being, from the depths of her heart, with her innermost being and all that she was. And she did this not out of a sense of mere duty or obligation, but out of love. Love for God. And that's the starting place for every single one of us. Being used by God begins with being wholly consecrated to him and loving him. Really loving him. Really loving God means walking in obedience to his truth and his commands, not out of obligation, but out of love. The same word for worship used here is also found in Romans 12, one where we read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
And again, we see it in Philippians 3, 3, where St. Paul writes, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The second thing we see about Anna is that she fasted and prayed as part of her worship. I'm not going to go into fasting and prayer in a a great deal today. But what this tells us about Anna is that she was in intimate daily fellowship with God. It's like when you tune an instrument or a great symphony orchestra tunes, they work at it prior to the concert and work at it and fine tune those instruments until the pitches are as perfect as they can become. And the instruments blend together as perfectly and as beautifully as is possible. Anna had done this in her walk with God. She had tuned her life, if you will, to hear from God, to be aligned with his heart and his will, and to be used by him. And she did this. She submitted to God in this way. She consecrated her life to God in this way out of love. And this kind of love for God and this worship of God is absolutely essential to the things we then read about in verse 38 regarding Anna. And verse 38 speaks to us of what I call Anna's timing. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks and to speak to of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. I love those words coming up at that very hour. Anna didn't just happen onto the scene. Remember all of this, remember the context back up for a moment. All of this took place in the temple courts that were filled with hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people. This encounter would have taken place in what was known as the women's court. It's an area that was approximately 240 by 270 feet. That's almost 65,000 square feet. That's a big area. A lot of people can fit into that space. And Anna was there. Anna was there at the right moment because she was in, she, because she was in intimate fellowship with God. It was God who led her to Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus at just the right moment. Remember, they were not a conspicuous family. They were poor. They would not have drawn attention to themselves. But what's the example here for you and me? When we walk in intimate fellowship, when we live in intimate fellowship with God, he will open doors. He will give us opportunities. And he will lead us to speak on his behalf. And there's nothing spooky about that or overly mystical about that. It's not as if it's some Gnostic or secret kind of knowledge. It's simply what happens supernaturally when we submit ourselves to the Lord and we walk in close intimacy and fellowship with him. It's not offered to only a select few. It's offered to every person, every child of God who walks in intimate fellowship with his or her Lord. And what do we see Anna doing? She began to give thanks to God. 
That shouldn't surprise us because that would be a natural or a supernatural expression of her life of worship because this was Anna's way of being. She spent time in the temple courts worshiping the Lord. So she began to worship when she encountered the presence of God through God, the son, Jesus Christ. And she began to speak of him, of this baby, Jesus Christ. But Anna didn't speak to everybody. The second half of verse 38 tells us just to whom she was speaking. To all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. That's a way of saying those who were waiting and actively looking for the Messiah. People who had not put their God in a box. People who had not decided how God ought to do things or that God ought to do things the way they think he should do them. She was speaking to people who were in fellowship with God and were attuned to the leading of the Holy Spirit just like she was. The Christmas narrative includes people who understood or grew to understand what God was doing. And they understood these things because they were walking in intimate fellowship with God. And out of that place of fellowship, they listened and they responded in obedience. Simeon and Anna are beautiful examples of this to us. Joseph and Mary are beautiful examples of this. Elizabeth, Mary's older relative, was a beautiful example of this. But the story is also filled with people who missed it. People who had had knowledge and quite frankly, more than anybody else in some cases should have known and seen and understood what God was doing. I mean, think about it. When Anna spoke in the temple, that's where this all took place. There were lots of people around, including clearly religious leaders. And they missed it. Only those looking and attuned really heard what God was saying through her. And that is a profound and powerful lesson in the Christmas story. It's easy to be led of God when we walk in intimate fellowship with him like Anna did. There's also a powerful example and warning in the Christmas story that it is easy to miss God. It's easy to miss what he is doing around us. And it is easy to miss what he wants to do through us, what he wants to say to us, and how he wants to lead us. If we don't walk in intimate fellowship, if we don't stay attuned through a lifestyle of worship, we can very easily miss what God wills and desires to do in our lives. We can miss what he wants to do through us. We can miss what he wants to do in this church. And we can miss what he wants to do through us, even in this community. But then we have the example of Anna. who reminds us that God, indeed, when we are attuned to him, will show us exactly what he wants to do in our lives. How he wants to continue his transforming work in us. He will show us 
what he wants to do through us, not in the weakness of our flesh, but in the strength and power of his spirit. He will show us what he wants to do now and in the days ahead in this church and in this community through us in his power. That's what Anna's example reminds us of. And I close with this verse from Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks. The beautiful example of Anna that you give us in scripture. A common person, a poor person, an older woman who from the worldly perspective should have been pushed to the wall. And yet you used her mightily. And these three verses that record her in scripture speak of her in glowing and glorious godly terms. So Lord, even as she walked in intimate fellowship with you and discerned what you were doing in a given moment because she was attuned to your voice. May we press in as individuals, as families, as a church. May we be attuned to your voice. And Lord, keep tuning our heartstrings, we pray, so that we hear you more and more clearly, that we discern your will, that we speak a timely word that grows out of love and worship for you, that we could be used by you, and that you may be glorified in our day. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.